Welcome to episode 10 of Change Voices, our weekly podcast where we explore the challenges, successes and lessons of leadership through the experiences of women leaders across Africa and beyond. I am your host, Paula Frey, CEO of Frey Intermedia. This week we're sharing the experiences of award-winning Dr. Ola Brown, who is an incredible healthcare professional, helicopter pilot and entrepreneur. Ola graduated as a medical doctor from the University of York in the UK. She is the founder of, among others, Flying Doctors Nigeria, which is West Africa's first air ambulance service. We chatted to her online from Lagos, Nigeria, and I started out by asking her to share the details of her journey from young medical graduate to entrepreneur. I actually graduated at 22. And I think that sort of growing up in England and going to university in England, I guess a lot of people would not have expected me to start a business in Nigeria. I think that um, a lot of the coverage is on people moving from Africa to Europe. So I think that that's a unique part of my story that I actually started looking at opportunities in Africa from, from Europe, from England. I realized that healthcare was a big problem across the continent. And I realized that perhaps the high cost model of healthcare in the UK would not be the solution. So we couldn't just replicate exactly what was in the UK because Africa had fewer resources. And one of the biggest problems with healthcare in Africa is logistics. Often in Africa, because of poor roads, seasonal roads, huge distances between big hospitals, fewer doctors than you would find, higher rates of violent trauma, a lot of extractive industries like mining, like oil and gas. Um, geography is often destiny. And I felt if I could provide a service that reduced the impact of geography during medical emergencies, then perhaps I could make some small impact. I mean, one of the things that you haven't mentioned, of course, is that you yourself are a helicopter pilot. Could you tell us when and how you decided to become a helicopter pilot? Because obviously it's had an influence on the business also, hasn't it? I started training to become a helicopter pilot because I have always been interested in aviation. It's something that has always been important to me. And my interest in aviation really started during medical school, but obviously I couldn't do it then. So as soon as I graduated, I started flying lessons. I really wanted to get a commercial pilot's license, but I didn't finish. So it's just been more or less like a hobby for me. Your business initiatives also seem to fit a real social need. So what drives your entrepreneurship? What drives your investment, your business? So on both sides, within Flying Doctors and for our investment company, I think the same sort of values drive both things that I do. It's really trying to make an impact, especially in Africa. I think historically the narrative around Africa has been about, you know, help through charity, through aid, through foundations. But all of these foundations are funded from profitable companies and no country has really developed solely on the back of aid. So I wanted to try and provide a service in the form of a private company that would help change this narrative as well as really make impact for the people that need it the most. Won't you briefly share a picture of Flying Doctors Nigeria? So, so what does it do? How does it operate? So we work across West Africa and our job is to get the right medical patient to the right medical facility within the right time frame. 
And that's really what any air ambulance across the world does. When we're called to an emergency situation, then it's our job anywhere in Western Central Africa to go to the point where the patient is and transfer them to a better hospital. I was reading an article basically outlining that you were looking at something like 10 million US dollars worth of investment over the next few years in order to be able to expand the services that you're offering. So tell us a little bit then, as CEO, what is your main role? I'm the founder of the company and we have a good management team as well as a board here. So as founder, really, my job day to day is not directly dealing with patients, but more along the side um, of strategy and expansion, financing, and obviously making sure our team is happy. So um, a bit of a HR role as well, I guess, even though we have a HR team, but um, making sure that people are feeling happy, making sure that it's a great place to work, I would say. So those are my three main roles, I would say strategy, financing, and making sure the blind doctors remains a great place to work. There are very specific challenges I think that founders actually have in terms of scaling up, but also in terms of letting go sometimes of some things and building a company that actually is bigger than you, right? That survives whether you're there or not. I'm wondering what your biggest challenges were in starting up the company and growing it, and then how you actually mitigate those challenges today. Biggest challenges in starting it and growing it. I think anybody that studied something technical, um, accounting or medicine or engineering, may be familiar with this. We get obsessed with thinking that because we're very, very good doctors or very good accountants or very good engineers, that will be very, very good at the business of engineering or the business of healthcare um, or the business of accounting. And that isn't always so. So I think during my early years in business, I was fixated with medical things, medical conditions, sort of medical protocols, making sure the medical clinical side of the business was right. And I had no idea that it was an actual business. So I needed to understand like how to take a loan and how to do projections and how to read a balance sheet and how our profit and loss account came and how to audit my accounts and corporate governance. And those were things that I knew nothing about and didn't develop myself in those areas. And I kept on going deeper and deeper into medical studies and taking more medical courses while completely neglecting the business side. And how I've sort of mitigated those challenges over time is really realizing that um, sort of looking back over time and making sure that I became much better at the business side of the business, which obviously makes it a lot more sustainable. How did you get to that realization? Did you? Did you have someone to bounce things off or was it just circumstances within the business eventually led you to the point where you had to make a decision about either bringing in the expertise or or changing your own focus in the business? I think it was really through um, a process of self-development. I always say, like, if you grow up in a more working class background where you don't continually have people that have built big companies or uh, big executives around you, then the greatest thing that you can do for yourself is really, really invest in self-development. So I think books have always been my greatest mentors and courses online have always been my greatest mentors. So through a process of reading a lot of books about business, and trying to understand where I was getting things wrong and continually like assessing myself and, and being critical of myself, 
I began to understand that probably one of the biggest problems was that I was sort of flying around the world going for more and more niche medical courses and trying to understand like little bits of medicine and really completely neglecting the fact that I didn't really understand how much a company was making and Mm. how to make it sustainable. I was sort of neglecting my team. I didn't have the right leadership and communication skills. And those are all important for a business as well. A business is more holistic, especially a healthcare business, is more holistic than just clinical medicine. Yeah. How do you balance the, the need for capital expenditure against the need for developing not only yourself, but also your staff? I think this is a big issue, particularly in Africa. I think that because of the education system in the developed world and more developed industrialized countries, um, they have really, really good education systems. So when young graduates come out of university, they're more ready for the workplace. But in many parts of Africa, you don't get that. So you have to invest a lot more in development, a lot more in um, training to try and get people up to speed, both on the medical side and on the admin side. And we've been doing that continuously. So I believe that you can never overinvest in your people. Um, that's the most valuable asset in any business. And it hasn't really been a question. It's been a priority for us. So we've never been asking the question, you know, should we declare more profit or should we invest in people? Investment in people has always been the priority. Yeah. And I've been, I was looking at all the awards that you had won over the years, including um, Entrepreneur of the Year, Outstanding Female CEO of the Year. Last year, you won the Extraordinary Business Achievement Award, the youngest person ever to win that award, as well as the only woman in the last decade. I'm just wondering how you sustain your energy, because it seems to me like it's a constant reinvention, isn't it? I mean, the industry changes, the context changes, the needs change. And so the company needs to be responsive to the external changes, which means that you need to be constantly re-energized in order to make sure that you're keeping abreast of the latest needs. I've always been really focused and I mean, um, I've always found sort of fulfillment in work. So it's never really been a problem for me to react to market changes and try and adapt the business to market changes. But I think in terms of balance, it really depends on what you call balance, because I feel like as an entrepreneur, you actually do have a very varied lifestyle. Sometimes you're doing training, sometimes you're doing mentoring and coaching, sometimes you're meeting clients, sometimes you're doing self-development yourself. So I feel like I have a good mix. Sometimes I'm speaking on panels, sometimes I'm going to evening events, sometimes I'm having uh, meetings with my own mentors and sponsors. So I think the life entrepreneurs lead usually is actually quite varied and there's so many different activities that really give me a sense of balance. Do you have to consciously encourage yourself to keep going or, or is it just something that's innate? Oh gosh, I jump out of bed in the morning. I'm always, I have a picture of um, Aliko Dangote. He's like the biggest mm-hmm. billionaire on my bedroom wall. And he always gets me up in the morning because I always feel like I've got so much to do. I've got to go. Um, so no, I don't, I don't really have... I didn't really have problem. <laughs> Dangote gets me up. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, so what advice would you then give other women who are starting up businesses that they hope will grow into a major corporation? 
I think that, especially in Africa, but all over the world, there are certain challenges that um, affect women more than men. And I think that if we do want to sort of break this glass ceiling and reach career fulfillment as women, women that choose to do that, I think there's two things that are important when you're developing your career. There's the technical skills and sort of the intelligence and things that you can learn from books. I guess, uh, what you studied in school, the IQ and the basic disciplines that you need to run a business. It's a smart, right? But there's also um, your relationships, your EQ side. And even though uh, women usually in most studies turn out to be better communicators, more empathetic communicators, I think a lot of women lack the social networks that men develop through their working lives to put deals together Even sort of what women talk about, like when I meet up with my girls or I go out with other women, uh, we probably spend 50% of the time talking about kids and talking about home, which is great. But usually men spend all that time talking about business and usually our lives are quite divided. So I always say that women have two full time jobs. Uh, Usually they're looking after the kids and trying to manage the home front as well as um, growing their businesses. So I think we need to be super disciplined about having those conversations with our spouses, about having conversations with other stakeholders in our families to explain that, you know, there needs to be more joint responsibility. So we're not actually having to do these two full-time jobs. Growing a business from scratch to sort of a global status or to a big business, it takes a huge amount of investment, discipline, focus, and also very good social networks and very good relationships And we're already at a disadvantage because um, whereas most men stay in the workplace, so most people that the average man graduates from high school with and uh, university with will still be in the workplace and have been full time in the workplace since they left those institutions, so since they left universities. But when I look at my own friendship group and bearing in mind that I studied quite a tough subject, so I studied medicine, a lot of my girlfriends have actually you know, left the workplace. Um, they're working part-time. They've had to take five, ten years out to have kids. So when you look at my social network, when you look at my amount of social capital, and when you look at the people that could become sponsors to me in my career, um, when you look at the people that I can make a phone call to, for instance, for maybe being on my board, maybe they could invite me to events, uh, maybe they could, you know, putting my financing deal together and my name comes up. You know, there's fewer opportunities for those sort of things. I think that the relationship skills, the social networks, building social capital, I think women need to be quite strategic and um, a bit, maybe a bit more deliberate about doing that. Absolutely. In one of the earlier podcasts, we had a discussion around building your networks. And, and then a lot of women, actually, the feedback has been that women are so reluctant to go out there and actually build networks. And yet it's such a core thing when it comes to building organizations or or building a career that you have a network of people who are potential sponsors, of people who can give you contacts, who can give you some feedback. I'm interested, Ola, to know what your plans are for the future and how your investment company ties into that. So I'll just pick up on what you said about women being reluctant. First of all, like I said, women usually have two full-time jobs, so they might not be reluctant. You know, it's it's just a bit more difficult because usually they're the primary parent. Um, so they're expected to be at home and they're expected to take on more of uh, household roles. It's not a reluctance, but sometimes it's actually more difficult for women to do that. 
And secondly, especially in Africa, it's actually quite culturally difficult to do that as well. So yesterday I was at an event, a professional event. I was wearing a suit. I was carrying a briefcase and I, you know, had a few good business conversations. But when I got back, one of my colleagues actually, um, well, not a colleague, sort of a business contact texted me and said, you know, that you should be careful at these events. You look like you were speaking to too many people and you know how Nigerians can sort of gossip and stories can start. You know, you need to be a a, a bit careful about that. So there's also, at least in Africa, a huge cultural constraints on women being able to build those networks and get out there without their efforts build social capital being kind of misconstrued in a way. Women just don't get invited to the table as much. So when half of your Mm. friendship group from high school and university isn't in the workplace or hasn't been in the workplace or has taken large chunks out of it, then your closest friends, your reference group, your sphere of influence is actually much smaller. That's another reason why. So I don't think it's so much a reluctance than sort of the institutional and cultural barriers that obstruct women from um, building the networks that they need to, to progress. Just in terms of the future, what is in your horizon in the next five years or so? So with regards to investing, we've already invested in several tech-enabled companies across Nigeria. And we know that one of the major problems for African companies in achieving scale is, of course, their ability to raise capital. So providing capital and other forms of support to African early-stage companies is something that I'm very passionate about and an area of impact that I'd like to scale. Also, really excited about the prospects for flying doctors, scaling our impact in the air ambulance industry in Africa, and making sure maybe in five to uh, six years' time that there'll be fewer people across the continent that die simply because they're in the wrong place in the wrong time when they experience a medical emergency. If people want to find out more about your business, about the Flying Doctors Nigeria, where can they get more information? Flying Doctors' website is www.flyingdoctors.com flyingdoctorsnigeria.com. My personal website is www.dr.olaorokunrunbrown.com. I have a blog on Medium and my name is Ola Brown there. My Twitter handle, which is at NigeriaFlyingDoctor. And I would strongly recommend that, that people follow you on Twitter because you certainly <laughs> do curate a lot of interesting conversations and it would be worth their while to do that. Ola, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been an interesting discussion and really a valuable kind of look at the kinds of things that we can do as women in order to take our businesses forward on the next step. So thank you very much for coming to chat to us. It's clear Ola is driven and focused in reaching her goals, but even she works hard at maintaining a balance that creates space for self-care. As a medical doctor, Ola relied heavily on her technical knowledge at the start, but she soon learned that she needed to build her leadership and communication skills. Her personal development was important, and so too was the need to invest in her team. Her advice for women is clear. Work on your IQ as well as your EQ. Build your social and your support networks. If you want more leadership information, then do sign up for our At Change Voices newsletter on the Frey Intermedia website. You can find these tips and more on all our social media platforms at Frey Intermedia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. 
I'd like to invite you to contact me directly if you have any specific women in mind that you'd like to hear from or if you want to support our endeavor. You can direct message me on social media or email me at pfrey at freyintermedia.com. If you like this podcast, please do rate us and subscribe on whichever platform you listen on. Thank you for your time. Until our next podcast, when we speak to Nomfundo Mahapi about healing in the workplace, let's lead. <laughs>